189 million seconds. 220, 22, sorry, 2200 days, 72 months, six years. A lot has happened in six years. Donald Trump has been president. The Cubs have snapped an over a hundred year World Series list winning streak. Tom Brady's won three Super Bowls. But one thing has risen above them all. Shield of Hope Studios. Today, we are celebrating six years of Shields of Hope Studios, and we are joined by the two people that started it all, essentially, um, in our panel, Jacob and Kenny and Donnie Shields. Hello. Thank you, Logan. Very good. Thank you for being the host of this. This is great. No problem. Um, I was extremely honored, actually, when you asked me. So I've been on the channel of three times now, actually four times now. So, so yeah. Um, first things first, Donnie, we're going to start with you. Six years ago, um, you're in college and you have a video project to do. And where did you get the idea? Memory of Lies is our first film. So I started at Dubois Business College and I know a lot of people that uh, listen to the podcast. I kind of repeat the story, but Dubois Business College was where I started. I graduated high school in 2014. 2015 went to Dubois Business College. And it was really, I'm going to consider it a semi-tragedy, but at the same time, it's really good because the college was actually getting ready to close down. So, and they were going to close their film program down. And so they called me up, you know, I went through the whole process of senior year trying to find a college. And then they tell me, hey, um, we're closing down the option that you chose. And I was like, oh, okay, well, just my luck. Denied. Um, denied. Multiple times denied in my life. <laughs> but anyways, um, so I got to finish up with the students for free for the last eight months. And it was really fascinating to do the hands-on because they were strictly just hands-on with their film work. You didn't have to go through the math classes or anything else. And that's really what I wanted. And... You know, so it was our final project, finishing up with the with the seniors that were there, and we had to do we did two scene recreations, which we could talk a little bit about later. Jake knows yep. about them. We did one from the from the Wolverine, and we did one from Charlie St. Cloud, and we then put up the poster in the back. Should have put up the poster. Maybe on screen we'll put it up. Um, but we went from two scene recreations to okay, do this ten to fifteen minute project, you know, for your final. Yeah. And so I was always a big fan of like the crime thrillers. And I always like to put a moralistic spin to everything. And I thought about this and it kind of popped in my head like, okay, you know the saying that no no wrongs make a right? Right. Well, I based off the three characters in there, um, whoever it was, like the doctor that ended up, spoiler alert, killing our main character, the main character with his greed and his fame, and the girl that was just money hungry and the whole thing. All of them were in this bad clash of things going on and it was no wrongs made a right. So it kind of, all their lives kind of tailspinned out of there and... That's where it became, and then um, that's really where it started, but I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Visions of Truth capitalized on the detective's end of it, which was really cool. So I always appreciated that. Right, before we get into this, Jacob, you're actually very instrumental in Memory of Lies. Um, what was your role in the making of it all? So, I mean, there's some obvious things you see where I'm on screen and I helped him with script a little bit. Though a lot of the, this one was mostly Donnie because he was doing it as part of his project through school. I helped with a lot of scripts later on, but this one was mostly Donnie. Now, one side you don't really see with Memory of Lies that I was very active in is the actual placement. So the locations we filmed at, particularly in some of the uh, the medical scenes and where we actually make the arrests of the doctor, I had a big part in getting those areas for him. And there's a reason they look very professional. Like the uh, hospital room he's in is actually a sim lab for students at a university. Okay. And so different places like that. Uh, of course, I have a role in there as well. I bring in my classic cowboy hat before I get murdered in the sequel. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. So at that point, when we first started, um, so this was that was twenty oh, math twenty fourteen is when we started filming that one. And so he had graduated. I was still in high school at that point. I believe I was. I want to say I was senior, junior year. You've been a senior. Oh, so did we start in the fall or was we it We started spring? in the fall. Well, actually, let me think about this because it had to be due by March. So we started sometime in December probably of 20... Because I remember Actually, some it probably of it... have been started 2015 to be honest with you. Yeah, well, because I remember one of the filming dates was overlapping with uh, Odyssey of the Mine, 
which if you're not familiar with that, it's sort of this acting competition where you get teams of people. Uh, our cameraman, Mike, was actually on my team sometimes. Um, flashed to a picture of Mike very briefly. And uh, that's actually where I got a lot of my acting and public speaking skills comes from that. But I remember we had an overlap because I was running, we were filming for like four hours, and then I had to run from that to rehearsals for this because the next day was the competition itself. And then we went on to States. Uh, so it's interesting because at that point I was in high school and then I moved on uh, into college and that's when I really started to get involved in the more of the production side rather than location scouting, acting, and sometimes helping to find actors, which was also there in the beginning. Which a lot of people don't realize and it starts in the hospital that Jake talked about, you know, about what we could create as a hospital being mm -hmm. uh, a nursing lab yeah, in college. Sim lab, thank you. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that and just like agendas that we'll talk about, that was all filmed in one day. Now, now we, we did a lot of the flashbacks that talk about that we talked about, but that was filmed like a separate day. But I still count everything as one day. We filmed it in less than obviously 24 hours in general. So it's just one of those situations where it's amazing how everything came together so fast. And that one really did come together fast. How would you say the overall production took? Like how long did it take to get that? For memory of lies? Are we counting editing? Yes. Okay, so okay, obviously it, it took two days, but those two days, less than 24 hours, and it probably took a good month to edit and include everything. Now, of course, it's taken a lot longer with all my other films because, like, this is just a college film. You have deadlines. You're not thinking about the sound effects, everything else like that. Mm -hmm. You're taking music that somebody else wrote, and then it's like, well, it's legal for college, so you just throw it up there. There's a lot more you can get away with yes, in that Yes, when you're doing a college film. So um, I would say in general probably – I'll just give it a month. Okay. It took a whole month to do that. Which is very short compared to what's going to be coming up, as you will hear. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about what's coming up. Um, first things first, memory of lies. There's a lot of people that I know personally in that movie who were played as your actors. Um, this question is kind of for both of you. What was the process like of choosing the actors for this film? So, I mean, that one was kind of interesting. So we're very early in sort of this process. Um, so part of that was just, so who can we get that we know that can fill these roles? Um, compared to later ones where we really start thinking a little deeper about, well, how would this person fit? And who do we want to play this particular character? And we had a couple people in mind that we were like, all right, well, they can do some acting. They can speak well, well enough for what we have access to. Um, so that's why it's a lot of friends in that one. Well, what was it? It was A.J. A. Williams, which, I mean, you know, being the lawyer character... He wasn't, like, if, if I could recast, I would choose somebody that was older. But AJ did a fantastic part for what he was given. You mm -hmm. have Scott Winter, who is actually an actor. He's been on different performances, um, especially down in the Pittsburgh area, with stage and theater. So it was nice to have that mixture of him getting started. And of course, anybody that watches the channel, Scott Winter has been in a, a few of the films. Yep. He was probably the strongest we had access to at yes. that point because he had some actual experience. And, then you, and he was a good age for it, too. Because that's something we struggled with then as well. And then you have Jack ages. Dietrich that jumped I in. Say, Jack Dietrich, I think, is the one who I thought did the best. In, I think he stole the show in Visions yeah. of Truth. I give oh, definitely I, there. I, I definitely think he stole there. the show. And I you know, Scott, forgive me. I know you're the main character in Visions, but Jack stole the show. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of those things too. It's like I would love to have Jack and a lot of these other actors in more of my films that are upcoming. Right. But there's such schedule conflicts that you can't mm -hmm. get everybody that you necessarily want. You also bring up something interesting that sometimes happens. So you'll often will intend for a particular actor to be kind of the main actor through this. This is who we want the audience to really connect with. And sometimes, so since we don't, again, we don't have all professional actors, we have these moments where there's someone else who's really just stand out in their role and they steal the show and we never intend for it to happen. And it, it just kind of happens. And in a way, it's a wonderful thing. For the lead actor, it's not always so wonderful. Well, everybody too, and everybody that has been on my on my productions, I would say... Everybody but one person that we talk about would be welcomed back. But everybody that I've had has been fantastic. They've been all volunteers. They, For being volunteers, you don't expect them to put the time and energy into a lot of these films. But they are there. They know the script. They push through. You know, you give them like, hey, can you change your mood here a little bit? They're like, oh, yeah, sure. They know the script it. as long as you give them the script ahead of time. I... I he am one of those. Notorious for, I am notorious ahead. for. Yeah, you threw me that. You threw me under that bus. You um, show up I'm, on the set and he's I'm, like, "Here you go." Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> the um, day of the filming, right as you get there, you get the script for the first. But day. I would argue that most of those scenes are like important scenes. I do want to keep hidden. Mm. I mean, well, you like to have a lot of improv as well. Yeah, that's one of the things too. And this is just a directorial style. 
Now, Visions of Truth is a little bit different because in that film, and I will get there, but in that film, you know, there's for the detective to piece up things with his flashbacks, I needed actors to say specific things because it's a crime drama. Um, with other films, I'm over here like, how do you feel like your character would interact? Like A Mile Apart, which went to the film festival, Steve Machida, I'm over here like, so how would you feel like you would act if you had a daughter, like to your daughter at that point in time? You know, just like put them in the positions mm -hmm. that, you know, so they can have a little bit of creative leeway. And I could like give them that opportunity to really show what they want to do. Now, if, if they go too far, I will rein them in and have no problem doing so. But that's really the biggest uh, part about it. And of course, just to emphasize, the amount of volunteers and the people that have been involved with these productions have been fantastic, and we would welcome them all back. Yeah, special thank you to all of them, because really, without you guys, none of this would be possible. So, two years after Memory of Lies, Visions of Truth, the sequel, uh, releases. And this is where we kind of get to see the entire murder go down. Um, what were your thoughts going into the making of this film? Um, I thought it would take less time. <laughs> this was a it, long one. So the first one was very short, but this one took a long time to get together. It took over a year to film. Okay. Like that was a film that I thought we could get out in 2016. Now, 2015, you know, Visions of Truth came out. You know, we shot that early 2015 by mid 2015. That was out. End of 2015, beginning of 2016, we started shooting Visions of Truth. And I'm over here like, all right, we can get this out by 2016, maybe in the fall or something like that. Didn't happen. 2017 came around, got it at the very end of 2017. You know, now in between, we did bus ride and stuff like that. But it was just, it took so much longer to do. You could, you could tell in the film, Scott Winter changed his beard style about 5,000 different times because yeah. you, couldn't keep, yeah. you couldn't keep an actor a whole year looking the same way. Um, and then we got to, Catherine, Catherine Turnerman came in. She did a fantastic job with what she was given. Of course, Jack just blew everybody out of the water with his performance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pretty good performance there too, Jake. I get murdered, but yeah, I actually, that scene was so much fun to film. Not only fun um, to film, that was actually one of my favorite scenes, like Well, it was wise. great visually, yeah. Lighting-wise. There's a lot of cool elements going on in it. And so we actually filmed this in sort of this old warehouse where they used to, uh, they constructed houses there, right? Like I do believe so. Individual sections for the houses that they would then, you know, we put together to construct larger houses. The sectionals, or I don't know, I'm not sure what the technical term is. But so we're in this a really long just warehouse lots of dust completely abandoned and like i mean it was kind of in the evening too so the sun's going down like you shine the flashlight there's just a lot of cool lighting things going on right. and then in the ending so i you know i try to flee the scene i get to jump in my jeep and peel out in this driveway and run out and try to unbuckle the gate and then our uh, murderer comes up and just Whoever you got as your cameraman, by the way, did a great job on those scenes, the running and thank you. Whoever thank you, you had as your cameraman, bravo to you guys. But I believe Mike running, was around for that. Who was one running too. second camera? I can't remember who was running second camera. Wasn't it? Anybody... No, it was your father. I think that was there, and that then goes on to murder he wasn't, me. He wasn't running the second camera. He was a murderer. Yeah, but I think See, he held the camera. What, what people too. don't understand, and this goes into, um, which if you ever, if if you're an actor or a director, and like, especially in uh, Before the Fall and Leaves, and we'll talk a little bit about that too coming up. But throughout the course of the person having the motorcycle outfit, there was like four different people in that motorcycle outfit. And the drivers could tell for we, had the, we had the helmet they... on and everything else and the leather jacket on. But the same thing came down with the murderer. Uh, Brenner in Visions of Truth was played by, of course, me at the end. But Mike's dad actually stepped in. You know, he was the one who actually murdered Jake. Yep, he stabbed And then somebody the... else was him behind the scenes in a flashback too. So you had like three people playing the one character no. and nobody knows it. You go into that saying, oh, I'm going to be the doctor that ends up no. I, well, like when I went into the uh, to film that day, I knew I was getting murdered. Uh, we didn't quite have all of the details of how we were going to do it. Some of it was improv. We had a rough idea, but some like we knew the knife, for example. Uh, but some of it was improv, like with the gate. Uh, it just kind of worked out that way that they had this nice gate that kind of fit with it, like trying to escape that well, way. Well, the whole the whole thing was if we would have shot that scene thirty minutes later or thirty minutes sooner, you wouldn't have got the sunset feel. Yeah, it was perfect timing. You know, so it, there's this, and and even to call back to that, um, Chris Bovey, who played the cop, which we we had killed in like the cell phone footage, which was really cool in the rain and stuff like that. We just, you know, it was the only time Chris was back in town. We're like, okay, well, he was a cop in the first one, so we're gonna try to tie in as many people as we could in the first one. And of course, Brenner's come out to the whole police department, kind of like a saw feel now, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, so when he's come back out to the police department, you had Chris Bovey. We only had one night to film with him. We pulled out into the woods to Mike's cabin. You know, there's this, there's this, um, this mud slash whatever drive all the way up to the cabin, and we got there and it started raining. Oh, 
and I'm over here like, well, we got one night to shoot, so here it goes. And I'll tell you what, this, the rain added to it the helped. scene. It helped. Especially with the lens flares and stuff like that. The mm -hmm. rain added so much to the scene. To counteract what I'm about to, or to, to help guide the way with what I'm about to say with the sunset type vibe with his scene, it's God's way of telling a scene. You know, God kind of put the rain there. God put the sunset there and allowed us to be there at that specific time for that reason. And it added so much more to the film. So for certain shots, I give God all the credit for because now, something interesting, sometimes our time management is also bad. With Chris, we actually did have a backup actor because he has a twin brother. That's right. We have Marvin, uh, who wasn't actually around at that time because I think he was trying. He was still in the area, but like in about to move out. So we had one backup chance. One backup the chance. first night didn't work. Now, did you have to go through, like you mentioned, there's many people in many different parts of the films. Did you ever have that one or maybe multiple actors who tried out for a role and didn't really fit that role well, so you had to either change them up or just say, hey, sorry, it's not gonna work, or? I, everybody you chose you thought fit perfectly well. I typically pick somebody, if, if when I go to write something, now it could be as simple as like, hey, I wish Zac Efron would fill this role, you know, if I was writing something, only, but like, I typically do write around people that I can get, you know, especially early on. Right now, though, when we start casting and reaching out and broadening our horizons and trying to find people that are beyond even the local aspect, um, I just write the characters and then say, hey, let me see who I can find. Um, Doug Ruckel for Before the Fallen Leaves, Steve Machida, he worked with, Steve worked with him. And Steve, like, I was originally going to cast Steve for that role. Even though me and Jake were like, can he pull off the drug addict type, you know, vibe, you know, mm -hmm. the drunk who's going to go kind of beat his daughter and, like, trying to hunt her down. Um, and Steve actually came to me and he's like, hey, um, I got a co-worker that, you know, has always wanted to be in acting. He's in his band. And, um, you know, you should give him a try. And I'm over here like, okay, give me his number. I'll call him. So called him up. He's all excited to do it. He filmed that in, what, like three days with him? That was a so, quick one. That was a quick one. It was really quick. Yeah. Sometimes it just kind of works out in magical ways, you could say. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do typically write, especially now, I write for more of a broader so I can allow myself to cast. But to answer, I guess... <laughs> we also, something to bring up, so we don't tend to usually have tryouts per se. It's more of like, all right, we have this role. Who do we know that might be interested that could kind of fill this role? So even if it's not written with someone in mind, we're not doing very like public tryouts. Now, do you do some of that writing? So, uh, normally where I kind of come in with this is Donnie will like be like, all right, I have this idea, but I'm not sure how to make any of these things happen. And so then he comes to me and we sit down and I'm like, all right, Donnie, let's talk it through. Let's come up with some characters for you and uh, we'll kind of work on this and flesh something out for you. Because so my background, I was a storyteller first. So his side was always the film. I was storytelling. I actually I finished my first novel before I even got out of high school. I have published fiction out there in the world. Uh, so that's my side of things. His I'm still waiting, though, to be the first one to actually direct your fiction writing. But yeah, Well, none of it's... Uh, Hollywood hasn't called me at all. They don't want any movies yet. <laughs> you got to start low budget. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, so he comes to me for a lot of the story and character aspects. And then I go, Donnie, these characters are too black and white. You got to have some gray. And he's like, but I like black and white. And I'm like, Donnie, only a Sith deals in absolutes. What he are gives, we doing here? He gives <laughs> me that Star Wars line quite a bit, actually. Yeah, the first time I ever threw it out, he was not prepared for it. I was not it. prepared. He's like, there's only good and evil. And I was like, Donnie, listen here. I need you to sit for a second. I got to tell you something very important. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. And he wasn't prepared for it at all. It caught him completely off guard, but it was just perfect timing. So let's move on to one of our next films. You mentioned, uh, I believe it's a mile apart, miles apart or a mile apart. Made it to the film festival. How exactly did that come about that that was entered into a film festival? And what was that process like in making that film? So Jerry O'Gronick, who's also a filmmaker, he was, you know, he, he was local in the church. So that's where I knew him. But he reached out and he's like, hey, there's a, there's a film festival that is kind of like a 48-hour film competition for people that aren't familiar with 48-hour films. When you go to the event of the 48 hours, you get 40 hours to make a film. But there at the starting event, they give you, hey, your film has to be about this, has to include this line or this plot or whatever. And they give you things. So you have to build a film around that. So you can't build any film going into it. Mm -hmm. So this was a competition that took a whole week. You know, it had to be... It started on Sunday, ended on Sunday, and throughout that course, you know, the opening live stream was, okay, you guys have to do this genre, about this, about this, and then you got to it. So the first two days, we wrote it, and then by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we were filming, editing as we were filming, obviously, but then, you know, Saturday turned around, and then Sunday turned around, and we're like, okay, here it is. 
So then about two, maybe even a week later, uh, they watched all, and I, I believe there was 100 films submitted. There was at least 100 people that signed up for this event. So who knows how many finished. Just say there was 100 films. There was 100 films. Better. It makes it look better. <laughs> and uh, we were top seven. So wow. we were going to be the top seven were taken. Oh, I don't know. Maybe we just squeaked by in seventh, but I like to imagine it was more. Uh, so we went to, or it got entered in a uh, theater in Tennessee. And then, of course, they're like, okay, well, they're going to be shown here. And I don't know what event came up, but I was like, I can't make it to the showing. You know, it would been cool to go down to Tennessee to watch all these films. Uh, but I couldn't go. I don't know if one of our cast and crew met. I don't know if Jerry ended up going. I don't know. I know we did not get first, second, or third. So This was an interesting one, so I'm not sure how much you uh, see it as an audience member. I'd be curious for your thoughts there. But uh, we really felt the time constraint at certain stages. There were scenes where we really wanted to refilm certain areas. We had issues with lighting and time of day or just some of the actor delivery lines. And we really wanted to film again, but we couldn't. And so there's some areas where you can kind of, it feels a little, the pacing might feel a little off or, you know, different elements like that. Uh, and that comes down to just, you know, trying to film a whole, you know, short film in a week is tricky. And that's part of the uh, the fun of the film festival. But it was, yeah, it's an experience. Yeah, there was, and there was other challenges on set too, because Jerry was also very um, in the middle of the process too with the writing aspect. Now, early on, he wrote me, so what we did was on Sunday, as soon as we got it, Sunday night and early Monday morning, we wrote out what we kind of wanted. Okay, we, we both came to the agreement that no matter what film gets, whatever whatever genre or what gets casted, we should do a father-daughter mm-hmm. type film. So we already had that kind of in the basis. Um, but Jerry, you know, he wrote me this script. I wrote him this script, my interpretation of it. You know, and I used a lot of things from his script and interpreted it here. But like, say, if, if it was like 10-page script, I think I used maybe three of his pages, seven of mine. So I tried to give him equal but we, we did clash heads a little bit at the end. He's like, well, you didn't use my script. And I'm like, well, as a storyteller and as a person that's running the camera and how the actors feel, I do have to make sure that it's my vision. And this is one it's of those hard. sections where he comes to me as well because he's like, all right, I need to merge these scripts. I need you to sit there and listen and work through, you know, which of these ideas seems better, which do you think the audience will connect more with. And uh, as I said, I'm kind of the consultant for a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, anybody that does anything creative is going to butt heads, especially when you're in a project. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Russo brothers, there's no way that they agreed on everything going through the MCU. Totally. Um, and that's kind of where we were at with that film. But then, you know, to see it all pay off and we get top seven out of 100, you know, and are able to go to the Tennessee Film Festival, you know, it's cool. It's, it's a really cool experience. And, you know, bummed we didn't get anything. But, but hey, still, I mean, seventh, that's pretty great. Yeah, free press as well. Free press is yeah, press. you're not wrong. Now, you're with wrong. this film, um, again, you mentioned when you were you guys were picking who to put in this role of the father, you wanted them to kind of like get in the moment, so to speak, and play. What would your emotions be like if you were a father in this situation? And I think both characters, the daughter and the father, played that extremely well, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah. Um, Steve, Steve Machida and Gianna Tuggle did a great job. Um, both have been on the podcast a lot. Both have been in other films a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, of course, give them a lot of credit for what they do. In in the case of what I would do, which, you know, I typically write stories about things that I probably wouldn't do because you write stories about things you wouldn't do but kind of tie it back into how it should be. Um, in that case, with the father kind of ignoring the daughter, you know, you had technology involved, which I think is a big theme in today's day and age with kids and their parents. There's a disconnect, whether it's over, oh, yeah. like their, their faces and their phones 24 seven, they're listening to stuff. They're just ignoring each other, you know? So it, it's a, it's a broken household. I would Pardon say. Pardon me for one America. moment while I ignore you here, Donnie. Just yeah. keep talking. <laughs> but so I would hope that if I had kids that I would be spending more time with them. And hopefully that story wouldn't pop up. Now, possibly, you know, you can spend as much time with you, with your kids or with your family or friends that you want to. But if tragedy pops up, tragedy is going to pop up. So the only thing I would hope to do is be prepared for the situation. And that's a part of the father's struggles. He's hoping to go out there and reconnect with his daughter through this. And, you know, it's not easy to reconnect with your children, especially if you have that distance and you have that generational disconnect. And so I think a lot of people can really feel with the father here as well as feel with the child. And one thing we really want to do interesting with that film, with the technology aspect of it was we decided that like 
because, you know, we could easily have put the, the daughter on the phone and the electronics because it's her generation. But we're like, you know what? Wouldn't it be a more compelling story if the father was the one always receiving phone calls with his work mm-hmm. and, like, just ignoring the daughter? So, like, the daughter actually is going to enjoy It's almost like she wanted to go on the hiking trip, you know, and he's over here like, well, I'll go too, and then start spitting off these facts about this, and she's like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I'm just yeah. here for the scenery. Now, this one, out of all the films, I think is my favorite, only because of my background working with kids for a long time. Now, I'm not a father. Um, but this is how I would hope to be as a father, like wanting to spend time with my kids, like you mentioned. Um, you said, what was the name of the actor? Gianna Tuggle. No, or, the, or Steve Machita. Steve Machita. Was he also in Bus Ride? He was. Okay. He's a recurring character. <laughs> he is a recurring, a recurring character. Actor. So if I had to go through Bus Ride, A Mile Apart, he showed up in Agendas. Yep, he wasn't in um, And then there's Before the Fallen Leaves. When in doubt, he's one of those. No, recall. he's in Fight for Me too. He's a judge. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> five, I think. He's been in five. Out I of think your he's in five. Eight films. Five out of eight. Yes. Okay. Let's move on the bus ride. How okay. Did the whole. How did the writing process go about with this one? So this one's interesting because it's probably the one I was least involved with out of okay. all of them. Um, okay. Well, this what? one was very. I think. Which I feel like I was away for a large portion of this, right. and just we couldn't connect. I'm not sure if this was. So this is a this is also a Jerry this is also a Jerry story. So Jerry, you know, had this idea and he set everything up for the locations and the script and and we had talked about what we wanted to do. This was just a moral theme and I originally, you know, this is going on four years ago, which is amazing. Four years isn't that long, but you're trying to think, you know, what happened and transpired in that moment. Mm -hmm. But I originally wanted when the um, when Steve's character got off the bus because you could tell that now Jerry starred himself in this one as the younger man and Steve was the older man. But Steve, I originally in the script wanted him to walk off the bus and kind of as soon as he got off the bus and like the bus pulled away for him to disappear, like the cool window shot going by and then he disappears and it shows up that he was in the obituary. Like Jerry opens the paper and like he's in the obituary. It's kind of like a ghost kind of figure, but like a a mentor spirit along the way too. Mm -hmm. You know, and once you got off that ride of life, which the bus symbolized the life. So everybody gets on and he goes through this monologue of, you know, Everybody rides the bus. We all go through the same motions. It's like, but you never know when it's your turn to get off the bus. I didn't think of it like that. And so he gets off the bus. And when he got off the bus, I wanted the, I wanted a pan shot of him going window to window and disappearing down the street and then the showing up in the in the paper. But, you know, that's one of those things, too, which it would have cost more effects then, which we weren't really known for at yep. the time. And as well as, you know, Jerry came to me. He's like, let's just make it simple. You know, you already added that lines of dialogue in there. And I was like, you're right. I'm cool with it. So that's how we rolled with it. Sometimes simple is better. Yeah. It's one of those interesting. Okay. Moving on. Agendas. Jim LeGrand was the main character in this one. I believe, wasn't he also in the one that made it the film festival? Didn't he play a doctor? In one no, of he films? was uh, Visions of Truth. That's right. Visions of Truth. He was a doctor. Jim LeGrand did an extremely great job. Which was a big controversy. And I didn't know this until the premiere. In Visions of Truth. Now we're going to go back a little bit for Visions that's of fine. Truth before we jump back to Agendas. In Visions of Truth. Um, the premiere was shown, of course, you know, uh, um, Scott's character being the doctor, or the doctor, my bad, the detective. So um, Scott's character being the detective shows up, you know, goes over to, I forget who he went over to, what character, but he's like, I have a plan. I think he even pulled the doctor aside. Jimmy Legrand's character was like, I got a plan. And then, you know, they go through the whole scene. They're, they're moving the hospital bed down the aisle, you know, as a heart attack's going on and well, fake heart attack's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the doctor pulls away, which is Jimmy's character, and says, okay, we got him or whatever in the walkie-talkie. Well, you know, that was the only time that that showed up. And then you saw, like, all the – you saw Jack come flying in, like, to mm-hmm. the room, guns a-blazing, nails me right in the chest a few times, and that's the end of the movie. But – um, a lot of people at the premiere thought Jimmy was working with my character. I actually did too. <laughs> and, and, I, and I didn't understand why. And I still don't understand why. I was, I'm just over here like, he pulled him aside to say we had a plan. But when police officers showed up to the other... So I guess, I guess this was the conflict. When police officers showed up to the other room that he was supposed to be in, and he wasn't there, I guess that was like, oh, that's why the doctor was helping my character, Brenner. But I was like, no, Brenner was just smart enough to move the patient to the other room. Because he knew there was going to be a setup. Okay. And then Jack just being, because he didn't, he didn't know that when police officers typically get injured or anything in a hospital, they keep everything under lock and key, right. which is why we kept Jack in the hospital. Because Brenner did not know that Jack was there, which mm-hmm. made it so great when Jack came storming in like, yo, I'm getting you. Kicks down the door. 
This was one of those big moments where Donnie first experienced how sometimes what you imagine isn't what the audience ends up seeing. There's that disconnect between director and audience. This is, I think, the first big one where you're like, how are you people seeing this? I see it this way. I do I do have to say, and we'll get back to what we're on agendas. we got to cover agendas. But before I leave that, um, before I leave that topic... Actually, I'm going to leave that topic because I forget what I was going to say, so go ahead. It was a good lesson for you. It was a good lesson. Oh, yes. Okay, so I actually consider Visions of Truth as my worst film. Not because of the actors. Obviously, the actors were great. The cinematography actually was one of the best films Mm -hmm. that we had for that time because Bus Ride was good, Memory of Lies was good, but Visions of Truth was the better cinematography, which actually made me happy on the inside and still does because I was like, that was the moment where my career kind of changed to picturing what was on the camera and seeing the scenes and giving all these actors different commands and and bringing this 40-minute, which was the biggest thing we ever put together, this 40-minute production together. Um, But I do classify it as probably my worst film that I've ever done. Just... I, I don't know. I just I just feel like it didn't click like I wanted it to. For being a sequel, and we're talking about this all the time with the Memory of Lies trailer, which for uh, some yes. ungodly reason, people continue to go back and watch on YouTube. It's the YouTube. most viewed it is the video most, on his YouTube. It's the, you know, 2.4K. Wow. Okay. So people, but it's grown 0.3K in the last two months. But it's been out for almost six years. Whenever something starts to get close to it, it's like, no, I don't think so. Like it Agendas, I thought was going to pass it because Agendas got 2,000 views within the first two weeks. And, and it slowed down, which uh, understandably, you know, everybody stopped sharing within the community and stuff like that. And once, you know, it gets lost in YouTube, YouTube algorithm. As yeah, soon as, as, soon as two days. weeks pass, you know, YouTube just like, this film never existed anymore. Until 10 years later. Then Until 10 years later and then brings it back. Sometimes five years. Yeah. yeah. But Especially your algorithm pulled some weird things. Yeah, we, we've talked about that on the podcast. For some reason, independent, the, the tag independent film brings up a lot of Russian and India stuff that we don't talk about because it's some weird stuff it's on the, PG, online. Th- it's so not I've, sto- I've stopped. Uh, I've stopped tagging things independent films because it's bad. It's bad, Logan. It was always like Tony. I I can't have any of these video. Can't watch any of your uh, videos online on my phone because I start getting these terrible recommendations after. I'm getting things that aren't, aren't even in English. Like it's bad. Well, you don't watch those ones for the words, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> watch those for something else. Yeah, but that's all. That was all the recommendations around We're all the videos. Now. We're banned by this time. We're banned. But anyway, go ahead. Let's move on to. Fight for Me. Um, this is one of my favorite ones because the whole sports aspect of it. Fight for Me. Um, Will Mosteller, who I went to school with, you went to school with as well, plays characters. I believe you're in this as well, Donnie. I am. Yeah. Um, how did this whole process go about? Well, you see, I couldn't find anybody else to play my part, so nobody else wanted to play the part of me, so I had to jump in. Which actually, no I I hate seeing myself on screen. Does anybody else have that problem? Because I do. You know, I'd rather be behind the camera. Uh, obviously, which always, is which is weird because we're on camera now. I find the weirdest part is always hearing your voice. That, Not so much that's the also scene, weird too. but hearing your voice on camera or just any recording. Now, is it hearing your voice without seeing yourself? Because I think that's more weirder than hearing your voice and seeing yourself. So, I mean, the weirdest thing is just when I hear my voice. Like, I, you know, and this goes for anyone. The, vo- the voice you hear when you speak is deeper than what you hear back. And I just, there's that disconnect. And I'm just like, is my voice that high? <laughs> It just doesn't sound like it sometimes when it leaves your mouth, but it's like, oh, it's surprising. So, fight for me. Fight Tell for us me. about this story. You okay. can start, uh, Jacob, you can start. We returned to the sim lab for this one. We did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but fight for me. So I will give you the rundown of the story before the story. Okay. So when I was back in high school, I wrote a short film um, called Fight for Me. And it wasn't really a short film. I would say it's like a small novel at that point in time because I was more writing novels back in high school than I was actually like writing scripts. Novel by his standards. Yes. He... Oh, this time? They were better. Anyway. This is a third grade novel. <laughs> now, is this like a novel that you already had published or is this? No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no mine's a medieval fantasy. So not, John, not a genre Donnie works with. Yeah. So my... Which is kind of an interesting thing because we often... So the genres Donnie wants to write, I'm like, Donnie, I don't know anything about these genres because yeah. I don't write these genres or read these genres. So, so in the beginning, that was an interesting disconnect. But we've gotten over that now. So this originally was about, and this is obviously not what Fight For Me is about right now, but there's certain concepts. So Fight For Me before this actual film, when I had wrote it back in high school, was about a kid that lived in a trailer park with his dad. His dad didn't pay much attention to him. And then he took a boxing, kind of like the karate kid, kind of like the test, like mm-hmm. to, to escape the dad. But in, in, you know, he builds himself up 
you know, passes on through the years. You see him become a teenage boxer. Then all of a sudden he, he becomes more of a professional, like amateur boxer, you know, but he's, he's rising up through there. And he goes to his one fight and his dad, who never really talked to him or whatever, shows up sober because he was always a drunk shows up sober at one fight and meets him in like the out like the uh the tunnel before you go in and and they ask him about well what what is what what were you fighting for this whole time like you could talk to me he's like i just wanted somebody to fight for me and then he storms off to the stage you know kind of like talking one-on-one with his dad that's why he took it up um so flash forward you know i could have used that same perspective with the father and the son but i was like you know what it's a different twist coming from a relationship right so when the girl was ne- like when somebody supports you as much, when you're in a relationship, you should support anybody, like whatever they do, whatever they want to do in life, their career, anything else. So this girl was always fine with being kind of second fiddle, putting the career first, but somewhere in the back of her mind, and she even spoke to my character, you know, about, you know, all I wanted was for you to fight for me. And so that's kind of became the title. I, I had, that was a title that I had right away. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't typically some projects you write the film or the book in your case, and then you're like, what do we call it? Titles can be really tricky. I know most of the time for me, my titles don't come until later on in the writing yeah, process. Yeah, when I, when I write, um, I tend to write the story first, and mm-hmm. then I, I take the title after. I might sometimes have a weird working title in the beginning, something very like cheesy and generic, but it's as I write, you know, maybe there's a character's dialogue or just a turn of phrase somewhere in the description, and all of a sudden, like, as you're writing, you're like, that's it right there. That's the title. That's what's, you know, the theme of this story or a big moment that kind of everything revolves around. Character names, too. I have this issue with character names. You struggle with character names. I do. And I don't know. I think there's quite a few people that actually struggle with character names. I don't think I'm alone in that. No, that's pretty common. A lot of people. I am not one of those people, but a lot of people do struggle with character names. I like to do the old cliche of looking up, um, like, Hebrew names that mean Uh, certain things. Something that ties into the film. You know, just something that ties into what the character is feeling or whatever. You know, like Vader, meaning father. Like, who would have thought, you know, but... Well, you can get away with it a little more then. It's kind of... Now you can. It's so overdone now to just... Latin's a big one that people like to pull from, and then they pronounce it poorly, but they pick a Latin name or Latin word, uh, which you could get away with it back a little more then. Now, sci-fi films and different genres, you know, those names I feel like I could rock. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when you're trying to do a... When you're trying to do a 2020 film or a 2010 film, you do kind of got to keep it safe to what everybody is kind of named. One thing also is, yeah, so one of the reasons we don't tend to do, you know, fantasy and sci-fi as much, as far as what our budget and our effects are capable of, it's harder to pull some of those off. So it's easier to do real world because we can, we have the sets around. Um, Like the Simlag, for example, we want to simulate a hospital. We just, we find somewhere that already looks like a hospital and we, you know, we tweak it a bit. But if we want, say, you know, a starship, um, there's a lot more that we need to do with special effects that when you're doing short films, it's, it's a lot to put in. And I mean, budget wise, but also just effects wise, commitment wise. And I believe we have one more film left, Fallen Leaves. And we yes. can loop back to agenda since we kind of skipped over that. Yeah, we can, we can do that. Um, Fallen Leaves, Sydney Greshko. Um, you can talk about some more. She's the only one I recognize. <laughs> But go ahead, tell us about Sydney and Doug Ruckle. That was again like I talked about Steve when I wanted to cast Steve for this role, and even Jake was like, "Well, can he pull off this?" And then Steve came to me. He's like, "I don't know if I can pull this off." So then Which we. It's great when the actor comes yeah. to you and because you're worried about something. The actor. But then when I said, like, "You know, I got a mm-hmm. cop scene," he's like, "Oh, I can do that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then he shows up. Um, I guess and shout out to Mike here, who's running the camera. It's beautiful production right now, by the way. Mike Give him a round of applause. He, he does. So it's actually his spider. So it was really cool. And that's that's one of those scenes too. Like we wanted to always do. There's a lot of I don't, I don't, fun scenes. There was scene. a lot of fun scenes, and I don't want to rush to things because this can lead us back into the agendas aspect. But before the fall leaves, you know, we've been talking about doing agendas too for a long time now. Right. So before the fall leaves, I wanted to test all these action scenes, like if they're in the car right. or you right. know the motorcycle, because eventually we were going to use that as kind of the test bed for agendas too. So that's where that kind of came out. A lot out. of this one was about, well, all right, let's test these different effects and how good can we get to look. You know, let's try our first car chase. The arrow effect scratching the side without actually scratching the truck because that's your dad's baby. Uh, little things like that and how good can we make it. So that was your dad's truck? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was driving it actually in most of the actual chase scenes. Oh, boy. Uh, danger, and, danger. <laughs> and then I was getting chased. Mike was, uh, so he was on the, where is it, the mule? 
Or was he on the spider for those? All right. So the setup was well. He if it was we had if, to have if, the, on the, camera if the spider was around. moving, it was Mike. Mm -hmm. Mike would not let any of us drive it. If we the spider I was thinking was when moving. you were filming and you were riding. Okay, so let me let me let me try to for anything behind. So there's shots where the spider catches up to the truck and then passes him after they script the arrow. Anything shot with the spider behind the truck, I was on the back of the spider since it's a two seater. You know, filming Mike's perspective going up through. And then once it flipped from, you know, watching him come up past the truck, I was in the truck to watch the pan. And then when the spider was in front and we were watching the chase, I was on the back of a mule. Mike's dad was actually driving the mule. So we had three things going, probably about 30 miles an hour, which we got to keep it safe so that it wasn't mm -hmm. fast. But we sped it up in post. How yeah, so you can make it look fast. You have to go through to get all this correct, like... Mike, do you remember how many times we did that up and down the road? There's a lot, and there's somewhere there was one or two where you're just standing on the side too. I didn't think there was down that down that straightaway. There really wasn't a lot. I'd say three, four, maybe. Bunch of different angles though. Is yeah. yeah, that's where it came down to more. That sounds like a long process. Planning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which in my case struggles a lot. So planning. That's not Danny's forte. So back to agendas, which we kind of skipped over. We're going back to it. Um, you mentioned agendas too. Where do you want to take the story? from agendas. Hmm. Well, it's funny that you should that you should say that because I actually, Max was supposed to be the main character in Agendas 1. Okay. Agendas 1 was more of a metaphor for, and of course when I tell people this, and like I, I don't really, I don't tell people what meta metaphors are when we're shooting it, right. but Max's character being younger in society than Jimmy's character was a metaphor for, you know, you shouldn't conform to the ways of the world. So by Max's character never actually killing Jimmy's character, was more a sense of, okay, I'm not gonna do what the world's telling me. Something about However, this one, I remember in the early script process, Donnie was telling me about like kind of what he wanted to do with this, and I was like, Donnie, you're finally writing a gray character who's not light and dark. You have some of this, you know, the messy parts that is real society. I was like, I'm so proud of you. It's a step in the direction that I like to see. Uh, everybody, and of course, this spoiler alert, so if you're watching this for the first time, you can go back and actually watch uh, Agendas for yourself, but, Everybody was kind of shocked of where I left it, right. which you know Max's character is like, okay, I'm not gonna, sh I'm not gonna shoot you. You know, like Jimmy beats him down first, but mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, you need. Jimmy goes on this monologue. If you need to run, you know, you need, you need to get out of this business. This business obviously isn't for you. You know, and you can see the the tension between them, but at the same mm -hmm. time, like the brotherly love. And then when they're hugging, and then Jimmy's watch goes off like, sorry, kid, bang. And it's just like, and the audience was just actually the first time I showed that the audience perspective was just like, what? Mm -hmm. Like it was just like the saddest ending that you could nobody really saw that coming yeah this is i've been kind of trying to uh, push him to do a story kind of in this vein for a while and he finally did i was like donnie i'm so happy with you what was your involvement uh so this one was when we were writing the script um so he had a rough idea of like this is kind of the story i want to tell and i was like all right so first off like i said i'm so proud of you donnie you did wanted to do something gray and then we sat down, I helped with dialogue, I helped him frame some of the, uh, setting up the scenes really. Like, so he does the actual shots himself, but in this one I help with actually writing out the script and like how we arrange the scenes, how we you know sort of bring themes back throughout different, uh, revolve it around at different points in the plot. Uh, so this one I was more involved in than say, Bus Ride. Uh, but yeah, just oh, so proud of you, Donnie. <laughs> but to take it back to the original question, which where are we gonna take this? You know, obviously Jimmy's still alive out there in the universe, you know, Jimmy's character. It's going to be interesting to see the original draft of the script is really dealing, and this isn't spoiler-ish, I can, you know, anybody that goes through killing somebody that they consider to be their best friend, even if you're in this mercenary business, you're going to see the side effects mentally of him mm -hmm. making that decision. And that's really where, where, where we wanted to go. But let me just tell you, the way we have it written in the script, if you think the watches are cool with the agendas, you should see what the main boss has. Like, that's something that we've came up with. Well, I don't know if you really know this. It's got some of, brainstorming. It's concept art that we've kind of came up with, but I have a dead set in my head to like, you think the watches are cool. I mean. So you're saying it's in the works, agendas too? It's, I wouldn't say in the works. It's kind of just turning in the, uh, the okay. thought basin. All right. If we could do it next year, I, it'd be awesome. Um, there's a lot of different things that are conflict, conflicted about that because we got so many films that we have worked on in the past that we want to get out. We got new films that we've been coming out with. There's a good the like four, four or five scripts probably that are kind of sitting around. Um, some of it limited by well, we don't have the actors necessarily that can pull this off, 
or we don't have the effects yet that we think we can pull this off comfortably, but we know we'll be able to at some point. And the audience is going to be pretty, well, they might be, they might be stoked with what we might have to say here coming up in just a few minutes. Well, some of the ones that are coming up are very exciting. Before some... we get into that, though, I want to do some kind of fun little game. Okay. Um, okay. We're going to have ourselves a little Oscars here. Um, it's going to be about the last six years, okay? Oh, boy. Now, without this being like a popularity contest. Are we giving out awards? We're going to so... give out awards. Oh, boy. We're going to start with Best Male Actor in any of the films. Who would you give it to and why? Like, overall? Overall. Who would you give it to and why? Jake, you're going to have to go first. Why, I think. So I'd probably have to, uh, I think one of our best actors as far as really, you know, capturing the audience and giving just a stellar performance is I might go to Jimmy, uh, particularly in Agendas. I mean, so he wasn't intended to be the main character. He was a main character, but not sort of that we're following. And he really stole the show. Uh, he had so much personality, so much just attitude and like spunk brought to the filming process and the acting process. Donnie? <sighs> The best acting performance. Can I break this into two categories so I don't get ridiculed here? Or do I have to give one? Um, you got to make the tough choices, Donnie. The best acting performances that I've seen in a particular film would be between Jack or Jimmy. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Dietrich or Jimmy Legrand. I, again, Vision of Truth, Jack's character was just phenomenal. Um, for the longest tenured, you know, between Scott or between Steve, I would like to give them both because they've been there throughout the whole process i'm probably gonna go scott winter has been probably my my where the progression has been and being that he had a background before in stage acting it showed it, it on does screen definitely show so i'm gonna give him the oscar okay what about best female actress in any of the films this is tough the list isn't that long but there's some very good ones you know, Sydney did a great job. Mickey did a great job. Gianna has done a great job. Catherine Turnerman has done a great job. If I miss anybody, please forgive me. Uh, I, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm rambling off names, if I miss somebody, I'm going to feel really bad. Um, I'm going to go with Mickey, okay. my counterpart, uh, Mickey Leonard from um, Fight For Me. Yeah, that's actually who I'm favoring as well for this one. Uh, such an emotional performance. And I mean, very solid throughout the entire piece there. And one thing with her too is you could capture it in like some, you know, it's, it, I always tell people, and this is where like, I tell young directors or anybody that wants to get in the film work, whether it's like when I talked to Kevin Walker, I'm telling him, I was like, when you, when you specifically get an actor to do their job, you're like, you know, you're telling them to act. You don't want to be far away with the camera. You don't want always Godfather shots. Mm -hmm. You want shots that are going to be up close-ups of their eyes you know of what they say you know the, the just different angles because it captures a lot her character you could see it in her eyes you know a lot of people you can tell that some, how somebody feels by the way they look in their eyes most of the time mm -hmm. it's a human reaction it's an animal reaction you can tell that and her performance from top to bottom of that film i would i would say was probably the most believable performances of probably all my films like you didn't see any like there's different performances where it's kind of like for a minute an actor could slip up and be like, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, we had the conversation about John Cena. Yep. You know, to start off Fast 9, you look at John Cena as just like, oh, it's just John Cena. Like, how could you, mm -hmm. you know, but somewhere in the process is like as the script goes on, it's like, no, this is Dom's brother. Like there's certain actors that can make that jump and be like, okay, you can forget who they are. Now, B Bill Burr on The Mandalorian, I just pictured Bill Burr. I yeah, can't, Mandalorian I, really struggles with that. There's yeah, a couple I can't different do that. cameo actors that I just, I can't unsee them from another role or from their, you know, whatever their main actor, you know, billboard comedian. Um, so I'm always impressed when actors are able to break out of that and just you forget who they are. But yeah, Mandalorian has big issues with that. So are you going Mickey with that too? Yeah, I will as well. That's actually who I was leaning towards as well. Um, my next one is which short film wins the Oscar for most likely to be turned into a motion picture, like a full length film? Agendas. Yeah, definitely agendas. Agendas? agendas. Okay. Why would you say agendas? I'm so proud story? of you for going gray, Donnie. <laughs> um, so agendas just has a broader it's it, okay, if we're going if we're gonna go based off Hollywood and kind of like themes and what people kind of push in the industry, mm -hmm. agendas would be a film just based off the action, based off the sci fi realms, like elements of sci fi. I know it's not like sci fi. It's not but gonna it's, win any big awards no. in Hollywood, but it will hit a wider audience. It'll be better than Battleship. <laughs> But I love Battleship. So I was gonna say you love Battleship. I love Battleship. You didn't make that claim. 
as long as I get Liam Neeson. I know. <laughs> and last one, which one wins the Oscar for the most fun? Oh, are for you? Oh, wait, you did agendas too. The most fun. Um, Charlie St. Cloud, Mr. Coffee. <laughs> there was, that's a great callback for people that don't understand. That was one of the, um, back in Dubois Business College, that was one of the scene recreations we had to do. Okay. So we had to choose mm-hmm. two scenes from any film we wanted to and try to recreate the scene with, with sound effects, dialogue, whatever. And Which you, they both came out very good. It was if you Wolverine. want to tell the Mr. Coffee story, I think you burned it. Uh, well, so he did two different... So the two scenes he did is he did Wolverine's sort of the bar scene in the beginning. Um, oh, that was fun, too. Yeah, that, that was, was fun. fun. He comes in and he stabs the hunter with the arrow. Jack was the Wolverine. Arrow. Jack Dietrich was the Wolverine. Oh, right, you can actually look behind you, Logan. There's actually a picture. That yeah, was... Yeah, yeah there was, that was the one. So he had to do sort of an action scene. And then he had to do a sort of a more emotional scene. And he did... Uh, Charlie St. Cloud, where I never actually saw the full movie, but what's the, uh, what was I playing? He's dying of You're cancer. You're playing Ray Liotta character. Mm-hmm. You know, so you had Zach Bring Efron and Ray, Ray Liotta. And Zach Efron was Charlie St. Cloud, who, like, you know, has been revived. You know, his brother died in a car accident, but the, this guy was able to revive him. But now, flash forward a few years later, the, this, the cop, had, uh, the paramedic has cancer. And, you know, they're dying having a conversation. Ha- yeah, I remember the big line. So, I was like, who says that? <laughs> They did um, the movie, but so it was just a combination of somebody that's old that looked with that had been dealing with cancer was probably on his way out, talking to somebody young and trying to influence them in in their life, and so that led in that scene. Well, this was just very chaotic because I don't remember what started it, but so I started laughing over something, something that Mike did off camera. I think it was he made this mixture of uh, it was supposed to be coffee. It needed to look like coffee. Let's but put it that way. It was really just he found a bunch of stuff in a drawer and kind of shoved it all together and got this weird concoction, and it actually tasted kind of good. I like I was like, like, they no, gave no. it to me, and I was like, I have to try it. I was like. I have. I think I take a sip in the script as I, well, and I, I was never like, tasted I need it. I was never going it. to. It was like teriyaki soy food. <laughs> it was so <laughs> weird. And he put all the food coloring in to get the dark colors. It's kind of this like sweet. Uh, it was like a juice almost. Is what okay. it ended up tasting like. Um, but for some reason, just the way Mike in the background, it got me to start laughing over this side. It was called Mr. Coffee. It was just a little coffee thing. He was pouring it in. And once I started laughing over this, every time Mike came into view, I just, I lost it. I'm in the middle of telling you about how I'm dying. And Mike goes by with the Mr. Coffee and I just burst out laughing. And it took us just like a whole hour to film this one scene. Cause I just, I couldn't stop laughing. Once I started laughing, the cast started laughing. What was that? Which, which film was this in? Recreation of Charlie St. Cloud mm-hmm. is what he's talking about. So this was before anybody saw anything on the channel. This was oh, 2014. Right. Okay. Um, but once I started laughing, everyone else started laughing, and the whole scene just everything fell apart, off camera, on camera, yeah. uh, and it went on for a long time. With um, with me, anything that has to do with action, yeah, has, just, has always been my favorite. So I could easily say agendas again, but before the fallen leaves, you know, even though that's underrated as on the spectrum of my channel. You know, being not nearly, it's it's in the top five right now out of eight, but still it's kind of underrated and underperformed than what what I would have liked it to. Mm-hmm. But that film was, that film was fun. Okay. You know, you had the, you had all the chase scenes. You had, were able to work with Sydney. Those and, were fun to film. And going in to work with Doug. You know, those, those were two people that really made you buy into it. If I had to pick one so that's actually on the channel, since the other one probably doesn't count as much, I'd probably go... So either before the fall and leaves as well, or I might go um, back to uh, early visions of truth, the different murder sequences, because all of those were pretty fun. And like I said earlier in the uh, podcast, many of those were kind of improv with only certain sections planned out. And the way things worked out, you know, Chris's death, my death, the sunset coming down, the rain, it was just, it was really neat. And uh, especially getting to explore some of the sets. So we were out in the woods for Chris's. We're in the warehouse for mine. Uh, it was just a very, one of the coolest locations, I'd say, that we ever shot on. Natural sets, too, which is mm-hmm. if you're ever going to be a low-budget filmmaker, even if you're going to take it up a notch and go, like, high-budget, if you can find a place that is just, like, that you know you can use, mm-hmm. that isn't going to cost you a lot of money or personal gains or finances or anything like that. That matches what you need. Use it. Which is, again, why we don't tend to have much sci-fi in Which is why we don't have helicopters. And we don't have helicopters, yeah. So Jake and Donnie, you guys have done a lot in six years. Both of you, we can tell that you guys have advanced your work, both in writing and filming. Jake, we're going to start with you. What do you see 
yourself six years from now. Six years from now. Yeah. Hmm. As far as Shields of Hope is possible. Well, so no doubt we will have some more scripts out some of we have a couple really fun ones that we have written and then a couple other fun really fun ones that are in planning one of them is actually a fan film um i will say that uh and that was actually meant to have a little trilogy with it uh go ahead and say it what go ahead and say it oh well we we will we will make sure that it gets done in 2022 well so technically so we have a couple star wars fan films and this actually spins off when we were doing real deal which was a lot of talk about sci-fi some marvel you know star wars which we always gravitate back towards because that's one of our favorites uh, and different things like that. And so we did a couple fan films, and this trilogy set that we have was set to take place after. Are you a Star Wars fan? I am. So after episode one, before episode two, okay. and it was to explore a Sith cult out sort of in the Outer Rim. Uh, and we're exploring someone sort of going through the cult, rising up in the ranks, and then coming to really question himself as he undergoes the trials. And there's some really cool characters in that, a lot of fun personalities, some of them very dark, some of them that seem pretty light on the surface, but when you think about them, it gets, whoa, wait a second, did they just did they just say that? Did that just happen? Um, and, of course, you know, lightsabers. <laughs> And some that, fun and special effects, some uh, choreography we have planned for that. And that's why Real Deal was created was because we wanted to put some of these fan films on a channel that wasn't Shield of Hope. Mm-hmm. You and know, explore some of these uh, you know, sort of concepts we couldn't do here. So. And so Shield of Hope was always decided – and we're going to talk a little bit about this in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shield of Hope was always designed to be more of that moralistic – Films and I know a lot of people have given me grief for the years. Like, how is agendas moralistic? Well, I, I was trying to tell, like I said about Max's character not conforming to the ways of the world. Like somebody that's young, not listening to the grown-ups necessarily, that like you know have lived in this overarching world that do some wrong, but like standing up for yourself, thinking for yourself. The um, real world is a messy place. It's it not is. cut and dry. It's not. And, and there's there's just like themes like that that go. And there's there's better places maybe than Shield of Hope that I could put it. But we're also going to talk about that coming up. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we also have a fun winter one planned. We have that planned as, plan well. as we just, well. We need to find the right actor for one of the roles. Before we talk about that, though, I want you to to talk about um, maybe give a brief intro to what the newest film is that we're going to be working on. Okay. Oh yeah. So the upcoming one that we have that we're actually hoping to start somewhere in the next month it's a father son story, and it's sort of exploring through the life of the son as he goes from you know a young child admiring his father all the way up to later in life when the father has passed away and he's dealing with that grief and looking back over his life. And we think it's a story that a lot of people are going to be able to relate with, not just fathers and sons, but you know, mothers and daughters. Um, yeah, it's very real. And so we want to explore sort of, the, I mean, with the human psyche, just how we, how this you know special bond, this special relationship between two people, uh, a parent and a child, grows and develops through life. And it's ups and downs, because as we all know, I mean, it's not always easy, you know, being a parent or being a child. And so it's it's pretty neat, and it's got some fun ways to kind of uh, paint those pictures that goes beyond what we've done on this channel. Okay. Donnie, six years from now. Six years from now. Well, hopefully, you know, taking this to a bigger spectrum, but at the same time, like... I would like to have my own. Now, obviously, you know, YouTube is kind of its own streaming service. So my channel, you could literally go on my channel and just watch anything you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot of different things in the works um, without going too broad because I got a big reveal coming up. Um, you know, I want to do my own type of streaming service. You know, we want to do kind of like master classes even. Okay. I would love to bring some actors in, just talk a little bit about how they perform. Maybe higher end, maybe middle of the way actors. But like mm-hmm. still, I, I believe that you can learn from anybody. I don't want to go like too Hollywood on everybody. I would like to get like the independent artist on. And I have been doing that through the podcast. Yep. You know, but I would like to get a few of these musicians. I know Shield of Hope is like, oh, entertainment. But musicians are part of entertainment. So I would like to even bring on like somebody for like guitar lessons, you know, have like a little mm-hmm. maybe $1 subscription service or something like that just to like learn how to play the guitar in these segments, you know, or like a master class type thing where like I could sit down, talk to about things that I know as an independent filmmaker, but bring in somebody that has actually worked on bigger films. And we could have this type of, you know, almost like a personal university without actually paying university prices. Um, but we have a bunch of something films for beginners to start to learn and find out is this something you're interested in is this something that I enjoy working with and I want to get more involved in and how can I get more involved and, and in? something too with this community that we're in now this local community where we all grew up at like okay yeah we have a movie theater there 
-hmm. but like we don't really have anything else. Like you got it's a little movie theater you too, for audience yes. members. Don't picture your big, you no, no, know, no, no, your no. AMC or anything. This it's is like a mom single, pa. you know, uh, single screen movie theater. Very, you know, five dollar tickets, sitting on a couch sometimes as your theater seats. Um, but so there, there's different. I would like to get people more involved right. in this community, and I would like to expand. Like I always say this. I don't really want to leave the area too much, but I would love to turn this area into the next Hollywood if I could. Okay. You know, and that's really the goal. But as long as I'm giving back to the community as well, which we're going to have a lot of different fundraisers coming up too, which is one of the things that I'm really excited about with Shield of Hope. Mm -hmm. And uh, being yeah, able to is... being able to grow is just giving back to um, the community, giving back to people who really need it. You know, and it doesn't have to be all about film because you know film is something that takes us away from reality. But film is something that can actually combine this. Anything with entertainment can actually bring us together. Okay, cool. Now, before we wrap it up, Donnie, you mentioned you have some big news. I'm sure, like everybody else, we're dying to hear this big news. So, do you care to share it with us? Well, Shield of Hope has been around for six years. And Shield of Hope is not going anywhere. You know, we have our podcasts that are going to stay on there, Hope Speaks. We have Donnie Shield's unedited podcast that stays on there now. Uh, we're going to try to get, well, you're going to have a segment on there. Yep. Kevin's going to have a segment on there. Jake, we're still going to have to work with you. We're going to try to get you your, your own segment coming up. Mm -hmm. That'd be fun. I show up in and out a lot. Yeah, I'm but always to, here somewhere. To host your own would be really cool, yeah, even if it's once a month. Fish. I'm always here somewhere. <laughs> That's his way of politely saying no. Anyways, um, so Shield of Hope is still going to continue to put out, like the father-son film will be on Shield mm -hmm. of Hope. But for anybody asking, well, your films don't necessarily fit on Shield of Hope. You know some of your films and we we want to go it's not that we want to go darker it's not that we want to go like to the sinister depth it's that there's stories that we want to tell that don't always have that moralistic theme we're still going to keep it family friendly family friendly in essence of not swearing and not like showing things on screen but we're still going to have to expand and like i always want to do a horror film you know and i'm here to announce to you guys today we're doing a horror series awesome <laughs> So that's you a, said for many years, which I've said for many years, and we have two episodes written already. Okay. Um, I'm not gonna. I really would like to spoil the first one, uh, but I will give the you the. I will give you the title of the first one. Okay. It's Ravel Road. Okay. So right. that's something I'm very excited about. So that's a, that's a whole series. But in order to do that, we kind of need our own production company for that. That can branch off off a shield of hope. So uh, cue the screen. This is a place that you are going to have a new platform. It's going to be something that we, we're we not putting podcasts on this platform. This platform is strictly for films, possibly some master class behind the scenes material. You know, that's really what we want to keep it. You know, and, and I, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on the things I'm saying, Jake? So it's going to be interesting. It's going to open a lot of potential doors for us to try new things, grow as, you know, people working in the creative field. And it's going to open potentially a lot of opportunities for people beyond just our little circle here to come in, to share their knowledge, and to help others out. As well as, you know, give back to the wider community, even if they're not directly involved, to give back to the places that helped us get to where I think this is a very big announcement because you mentioned you're kind of still saying family-friendly. But you're also opening a lot of people's eyes to a lot of the not so sunshine and rainbow type stories that are out there in the world. And it's kind of it could help people out there who are struggling with something get over that. So I do think this is very big news. It is. And it's, it's been something that we've been talking about for at least a year, two years now. You know, and, and you know, to call back, even when I started the, the name Shield of Hope Productions at, in college, you know, the professor was like, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Just Christian films for a living, <laughs> you know, and, and to his to his defense, you know, yeah, you, you look at something like that and think, OK, well, yeah, they're going to be, you know, we had the we had, the, had the we had the cross on the has. symbol. We had the crown on the symbol, um, which actually you probably can't see this on camera, but no, which actually the Shield of Hope. Now, Becca Winter, who is Scott Winter, the actor, her, his wife actually designed the shield six years ago. Awesome. So. She hand drew, she hand, she hand drew that, and that thing was fantastic. The shield is getting an update now, so from here on out, you will see in the graphic above, the shield is changed. We did eliminate the crown, but we kept the cross, and of course, we changed the font a little bit on Shield of Hope, and uh, it was just something too that, in a, in a matter of time of six years, sometimes the flatter images. You know, when you try to expand things on screen or try to print things, 
it wasn't, I never had the original uh, PNG file per se. So I couldn't do anything transparent with it. That was just me. Every time we print out something, whether it's something mugger or whatever, I'm going through with the Photoshop tool trying to do this. So I took the which photo. Which never perfect. You no, which is never perfect. close, but it's never quite which perfect. Which we digitalized this new one. So we have this for years to come now. You know, mm -hmm. we got the, the PNG files. We have the transparent background. And we're ready to go. And yeah. there's a whole bunch of different things that are in the works between merchandising and stuff like that. And if you guys ever want to support the channel, you can go check that stuff out. Uh, we have a website, which not a lot of people realize right now. But eventually, that will actually have something that you can buy our products. So, what is that website? Uh, that is shieldofhopeproductions.com. Okay. All right. Well, Donnie, Jake, Mike, thank you guys so much for being a part of not only this six years, but hopefully six years to come. Thank you to all of the people who are watching out there who have been a part of the Shields of Hope fam family as you speak. Um, this was a blast. And best of luck in the future six years, guys. But before we do that, Logan, thank you for hosting. Can we all give Lo Logan a round of applause? Thank over you. Here? Thank you. Yep. Fantastic. Great right to have you. Thank you, and thank you for being a part of the Shield of Hope family. No problem. Glad I can help. All right, guys. Take care.